My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Slow Departure. The Second Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Violation. The Deception. The Suspicious. The Unexpected. Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Beginning. And this week, my name is Jeremy. We have a guest host. Yay! Yay. Welcome, Jeremy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Jeremy, have you ever heard of the Animorphs? I never heard of the Animorphs or met any of you before. This is going to be really awkward. <laughs> but I, I do have to say that there's a possible conflict of interest. I am sponsored by the Dudette Cat Food Corporation. Oh, no. <laughs> we'll get to the Dudette Cat Food Corporation. I have some theories. <laughs> Don't worry. We plan to speak very highly of them in this podcast, so I'm, it shouldn't be I'm any sort of problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jeremy, have you read all of these books before? Did you read them when you were younger, <laughs> like Jenny and Ted did? I read them. They were they were all the rage when I was about eight years old. And so I started reading them. And then I started having nightmares. And then my mother read one and my mother said, you don't get to read these anymore. Oh, Do no. you remember which one she read or what nightmares you had? <sighs> I'm guessing it's number six, but I don't remember. That's the book that rereading resonated with me. It's like, oh, I don't want this in my head. Do you think it was like <laughs> the Yerk or was it the, the fly bugs. and cockroach morphs? Like how is <laughs> really creeped out by those? I don't think it was discussed. I okay. think it was... You don't know what these are serious stakes. It's true. Eight is pretty young. Like your mother is a visser. Like that's. (laughs) Do you think your mother was a visser, and that's why she didn't want you reading the books? Too close to the truth. She could listen to this episode, so I'd rather not respond. (laughs) (laughs) But it has been like a very liberating adult thing to go back and reread the books Mm, along with you all. Nice. All I wanted out of this podcast was for one person to reread all the books (laughs) along with every single episode. So I'm very excited about this. I should say that I don't know if I count as a rereader because I remember nothing. Well, to no, read, no, 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 just read. to read yes. along with the oh, podcast, yeah. along with Gray, whether or not say. you know what's coming. Obviously, Gray was going to do it. She's obligated yeah, by her to. role on the podcast. Well, we're glad you're here. And this week on Animorphology, The Secret. Yeah. Jenny, you want to tell us what this one was about? Oh, boy. Okay. So the book starts, Cassie and Rachel are morphing into rats at the school. Terrible plan. Because Cassie wants to know why her science experiment rat isn't running through the maze. So that's kind of their opening thing. Then they all find out that there's a new logging operation happening in the forest. Cassie's very upset. They find out that the Yerks are doing it because they think that the Anwars are Andalite bandits. And they're trying to destroy their territory and investigate and find them. And the Anwars go and investigate. Uh, They kind of get caught and have to run away. It's definitely the Yerks. They're like being shot at with uh, Dracon beams. Then Cassie's dad takes her out to rescue the skunk, which was shot by one of the dracon beams cassie feels really bad about that and she is worried about the skunk's babies the skunk apparently just recently had babies and so she's like oh no these babies are gonna die this sort of starts a theme of like the cruelty of nature and how comfortable she is with that they decide that the way to stop the yerks is to get this logging operation discredited this is a national forest they want to know how they're getting permission so they decide to sneak into the logging compound to find out how they're getting this permission but there's a force field around it. So they decide to turn into termites to sneak in. They know from their experience with ants that 
they have to turn to termites from the same colony. So they do, but the problem is that then their minds kind of get taken over by the thrall of the queen. And Cassie, in order to save them, has to kill the queen. This is incredibly traumatizing for her. She feels terrible about, like, destroying this entire termite civilization. She knows that maybe it's an overblown concern, but it's, like, really awful for her. She's having this whole crisis of faith about the war, about her uh, relationship with nature. And in order to resolve this sort of for her, she decides that she needs to save this skunk mother. There's sorry, save the babies that were uh, would otherwise die without their skunk mother. And the other Animorphs are like, yeah, this is super dumb, but we're going to help you. Meanwhile, they also figure out that there's this commission of three people who are going to decide if the Yerks get to log in the forest. One has already said no. One has said yes, probably a controller. The third one hasn't voted yet. He's coming out soon to investigate. And they're like, well, they're going to make him a controller. So they're like, we're going to need to like grab him to prevent this. And so they attack while he is being brought in. Cassie gets captured in Bird Morph, ends up turning into the skunk again and spraying Visser 3 and a bunch of Horkbajir and human controllers in order to get out and the smell is so terrible that the Visser <laughs> agrees to take down the force field and let Cassie and this poor human go in exchange for quote-unquote secret andalite technology to neutralize the smell which as actually just tomato juice but they tell him it's grape juice and the book ends with Visser 3 soaking in grape juice turning a lovely purple color but still smelling like skunk. That was at least three minutes. I'm sorry it's really hard to stick to 60 seconds. <laughs> Again, the skunk thing at the end with the grape juice is possibly the funniest thing that has happened <laughs> so in this entire series, including anything that Axe has ever done. <laughs> this was funnier. I laughed yeah. so much. Really, really it was good. hilarious. So yeah. overall, Gray, what was your take on this book? I liked it. I thought it was fine. I have a list of rules for morphing that I need them to start obeying. <laughs> um, Please go on. Listen, not to be the mom in the group, as I they need one. typically am. <laughs> But if you kids are going to keep this up, we need to set some ground rules. One, never morph for the first time alone. And when I say never morph for the first time alone, I mean one of you stays a human and the other one yeah. tries the morph for the first time. I'm looking at you, Cassie and Rachel. What? Seriously. What were you thinking? Two, no colony animals. I don't care how helpful it seems like that would be. No colony no. animals. Yeah. Not allowed. Always go with a buddy. Don't do this on your own. That includes acquiring things. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Always go with a buddy. Find a friend. There are six don't of you. Don't fall asleep in morph and almost get stuck. Don't fall asleep in morph. Another good one. But well, I mean, that can be the buddy the thing. The buddy thing. Someone to wake you up. Someone will yeah. prevent you from falling asleep. These are just some of the rules that I feel you should really <laughs> have and actually obey. Don't morph anywhere where there isn't a locking door, like say in a classroom where people could just come in while you're mid-morph. Or lock your bedroom door, for example, Jake, when you morph into he a cockroach for the first time. He probably doesn't have a lock on his bedroom door, but he shouldn't be morphing there then. Exactly. They make up a rule. They say at the beginning, you know the rule, no morphing except when necessary. That has never been said before. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad rule, but it's never been said before. It's sort of been implied, like there's been some like well, shaming people who morph when yeah, it isn't it's necessary. Like, Rachel, you were morphing all day, but then sometimes they're like, why don't you just morph a bird to cool off? So they've been inconsistent. <laughs> they've been inconsistent. Yeah. For sure. I would like to mom these kids. Yeah, the thing where Cassie's going to turn to a rat and she's like, well, you have to do it too. And Rachel's like, why do I have to do it too? And I'm like, yeah, why does she have to do it too? That's a terrible idea. If, a- if Rachel's still a human, she can provide some cover. She can make sure like nothing bad happens to Cassie. That Cassie doesn't like get lost in the mind of the rat. It's a very dumb idea. 
It's yeah. unclear why Cassie decides to do it this way. It's because they're teens. <laughs> they're so <laughs> They're just teens. And like they enable each other in this hilarious way where like Rachel is like <laughs> so done with having to be there only like 10 minutes after school. Yep, yep. And Cassie. She wants to give that home right, Cassie just doesn't. Start. She just wants her friend to like do it along with her. You know, like they're not really thinking enough steps ahead. I did it's love great. how Jake called them out on that. Just like you and Rachel egg each other on. Cassie's like like you how you and Marco egg each other on. I'm like, yeah, they do. They're at least aware that it's a bad idea, and mm-hmm. yet they still go through with it. That's the great thing about Rachel. She's always willing to help talk you into doing something you probably shouldn't do. You know you shouldn't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. Where are the teachers? Well, it's after you, school. You you can play with rats in science classrooms after school? Apparently. Huh, I guess that is kind of weird, isn't it? And you're 12? They're 13. I bet. Uh, that's right. I forgot about the rats allowed when you're 13 rule. That's... It's true. That's one of Gray's rules, actually. It was on the yes, list. Below, always have a buddy. Uh, by the way, the morphs in this, the descriptions of the morphs, not as bad as some of the previous ones have been, but the rat morph. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jeremy actually uh, was saying that he wrote that one down because he knew you would love it. I, would you like to read I, it for us? I just, the, Please The do. phrase I, I recorded was, my face bulged like a zit about to pop. That is exactly the <laughs> one that oh, I yeah. had. But I did think of you at that point, Greg. Yeah, that's oh, a special damn. line. It's just so gross. Please stop. It's gratuitously gross. It is. They're really picking imagery that will resonate with their teen crowd. Although I feel like most of the readers of this were preteens who probably didn't have sits yet, so. Still. So I, while we're talking about the opening thing, I really like that this is one of the examples in the book of Cassie uh, like using morphing for a non-standard Anamorphs reason. Mm-hmm. Like, usually they're just morphing to fight, infiltrate, be part of this war against the Yerks. But here she's like, I don't understand this animal's behavior, so I'm going to mm. become the animal and like learn what's going on with it. And so she figures out the ceiling fan is blowing away the nut smell. I'm not sure that that's that, that makes a lot of sense. But I like the fact that she's being such a, a scientist here. She's mm-hmm. being a, a zoologist and like, oh, I'm going to figure it out. And she she said before, like, she knows about radio telescopes in the last book. She likes science. And so it's, it's consistent. She doesn't want to get a D in Though, science class. I, yeah, I, and I'm dismayed that Courtney the Rat gets away and Cassie's going to fail out of her science class. I'm really glad that Cassie got called out on this behavior. We've sort of been seeing this building pattern of Cassie morphing things in secret and not letting Jake find out. And the other people, like multiple people, covering for Cassie. And then finally this time he's like... So I heard some guys at school got attacked by rats who acted really weird. And Cassie's like, I don't know what you're talking about. But then ends up admitting it later, sort of incidentally, as part of another conversation. And it seems like this morphing for, like, reasons that are not related to the Yerk War is, like, kind of finally explodes in this book between her and Jake. And they finally have a conversation about it. confront her Mm -hmm. about it. Because that was not tenable. That wasn't sustainable. Didn't they give Marco a pretty hard time for morphing the gorilla to save a guy from a robber? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Different stakes than, oh, my rat won't run the maze. Well, they give Rachel a hard time for morphing into an elephant mm-hmm. to escape someone trying to kidnap her. Yeah. Oh, so much better the stakes are different. Yes. Actually, Jeremy, what did you think of this book? <laughs> uh, As a I, whole. big fan of anamorphology, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> First time walking into this room and recording with us <laughs> randomly, view. even though you've never met any of us before or heard of the animals. Over a city. I can't tell you what the city is. I can't tell you what our last names are. <laughs> but I didn't think I'd ever come on the podcast because I, I have nothing to offer other than knowing the three that of you. That is such a lie. Um, what do we have to offer? Come on, Jeremy. <laughs> Uh, a lifetime obsession with the animals, I think. <laughs> Except for Gray. Gray and offers a, a new perspective. <laughs> um, Much like you offer a new perspective. 
But I finished this book late at night because it's usually a great thing. Reading these books is a great thing to be like, oh, it'll be really fast. I can do it before I go to bed. I'm a graduate student. I have no time. So reading something that's actually bite-sized and fast is a joy. And I couldn't fall asleep because I was so frustrated with the end of this book. (laughs) I had a lot of thoughts. So before we get into the, the rant, which I'm very excited about, I will just say I really liked this book. Like I can see, I can see how maybe there are going to be some logistical things that Jeremy's going to call out. But like the density and like complexity of Cassie's like moral philosophy, emotional responses were just really interesting to me. And I really enjoyed the exploration. I enjoyed how it wasn't tidally resolved. These are clearly things that we're going to keep wrestling with. I loved all that. I'm really excited to talk about it. So well said, Jenny. That's exactly how I felt. I think I might have even liked it a little bit more. I love I loved rereading this so much. Part of it was that this was the first one rereading it that a lot of it was really new to me. Like I remember all of these things that happened, but I'm, this must not have been one that I reread as much growing up. But I feel I felt like I was experiencing a lot of what Cassie was going through for the first time. This is a very, very Cassie book, just yeah. just in the way that the seven was a very Rachel book and six yeah, this is a very is Jake so book. Much it's better like than the characters four. the characters are just you we know, had concerns off the after four that like we weren't really seeing Cassie. We see Cassie in yeah. this one. Yeah. That's true. And I did like that about her. I will also say I think Cassie is the perfect vehicle for this book, which is so much about the team as a whole. Yeah, I think so Cassie many interesting great. team dynamics. It's very character it. driven. Yeah. This like there is some plot, but like there's not as much plot. Yeah, as there it, is it reminds me a little bit of three in that way. Yeah, you know, the stakes the stakes aren't plot. quite as big. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's one of the interesting things about Cassie's role in the group is that like she's kind of like the most kind of like normal person. She's like the chick, <laughs> you know. She cares the most about animals and stuff. But a lot of the things that she's grappling with here are pretty relatable issues. Yeah, it's them grappling with like the war rather than them fighting the war, which mm-hmm. they also do. It also reminds me a lot of Eight of Axe's book because mm-hmm. it's similarly character driven rather than plot driven. And both of them are dealing with the emotional considerations of what they're doing rather than the logistical considerations or yeah. kind of fighting the actual war. They're, they're just thinking about it more. And I thought that was pretty interesting, especially because they follow on each other. I think they're very similar in a lot of ways. So I think we can probably go on for a long time about a lot of things. Um, Should we talk about the logistics? Yeah, I want to hear what Jeremy has to say. At what point did this go off the rails for you, Jeremy? (laughs) It's really the final scene. It's really like the last 5% of the book. So I've now read it twice in the last few weeks. And the first time I got really worked up, I reread it kind of today, yesterday. And I I am picking up on everything you're talking about. (laughs) I do enjoy it. The skunk interlude is very long, but it's very nice. It's a very, (laughs) it's a beautiful lens of like how their, their relationships work out and how they pick each other up. It's when we get to the camp at the end that I'm just like, this doesn't make sense. (laughs) So I've got, there's three things. First of all, how does a skunk defeat Visser 3, (laughs) some large number of Hork-Bajir, humans with automatic weapons... There's Dracon beams. There's yeah. Skunks are really scary. Imagine the They're worst really smell smelly. you've ever smelled, and multiply it times a thousand, and you won't even be close. But what's the like? Once the skunk has sprayed you, what can the skunk do? Uh, I don't think the skunk has to do anything at that point because you're just so overwhelmed they with just the stench. Turn and run. <laughs> they have a pretty much helpless animorph sitting there, and they're like, "Well, well, it really smells bad right now, so I can't pull a trigger." <laughs> They're overwhelmed by the stench. They can't handle it. They can't aim. All right, so that's that's the first thing. What's the second thing? <laughs> the second thing is just that general battle. I don't get it. There's, so they say that there's four hork and I think six humans with automatic weapons. How do the Animorphs win that? Because we just, we see the, the battle of the Kendrono when it's like even numbers and they barely escape with their lives. Plus Visor 3 is there, who is a one-man menagerie of horror. <laughs> 
how is it like, no, we need to hide within would the you, force field? Would you call him a one-man ashery? So I, it's like, why did, this, why did the Yurks retreat and put up the force field in the first yeah. place? Since they had guns and stuff. Yeah, why, how, and, and it's unclear to me how the Enmarks get control of the equipment. Because there's a scene that, like, Cassie waddles out, and the earth-moving and tr- incredible tree-destroying equipment is, like, straining against the force field, and all the Yurks are just, the, the controllers are just, like, lying on the ground, defeated, and how is a tiger controlling an earth mover? I don't... <laughs> I have some questions. That, so like Ray, yeah. Well, no, they had Marcos the gorilla. I'll throw that one out there. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, so what's, I, then what's the third thing? The thing that really bothers me is, like, they said, I mean, obviously the, the point of the, the prey-predator thing they're talking about is is to talk about the moral philosophy of, like, what is this war we're in, etc. But it also serves as, like, Cassie's prey-predator thinking through the weakness, the point of weakness moment, and she's like, Ferrand, he's the weakness for Vister 3. No, he's the weakness for the Animorphs. The Animorphs are only there because of him. The Yurks are only there to kill the Animorphs. So if the Animorphs are there, they don't care about the logging operation. They're not trying to have a logging company. They're trying to kill the Animorphs. And all the Animorphs are there, and they've got their viscera there. Kill the Animorphs! (laughs) You don't need to protect this guy. (laughs) That's what gets me. That's a good point. If they have one of the so-called Andalite bandits there, do they even need Ferrand anymore? No! That's yeah. a very good point. Yeah. And if you kill Ferrand, then the Animorphs leave. But if the Animorphs kill Ferrand, like, then kill the Animorphs. Like, what? The Yurks are famously bad at fighting this war in any They're kind so of reasonable bad. way. How is this their third in command? I mean, I think part of it is, as we've discussed previously, and I have been talked around to, although I'm still skeptical, the Yurks do not have an understanding of human hierarchy or human tactics. <laughs> they haven't eaten it before. They're in this new world. Maybe they're just really shit at human tactics because they've never had to deal with it before. Fine. But this does seem like they haven't really thought through what their end goal is because the end goal is capturing or killing the Animorphs. Yeah. I also feel like this thing where they need the this commission of three people to vote, like... These are, like, ruthless killers. Mm. First of all, like you were saying, Gray, we've talked before about how they don't necessarily understand human society and hierarchy. Like, they do have controllers who understand it. But, like, you'd think the Visser would be like, whatever, we're destroying the forest. We don't care who approves us. Like, let them come arrest us. We'll infest them, too. And also, even if they're like, fine, we'll get the approval of this commission. And then Ferrand kind of says no. Like, there has to be a way to infest this guy, like, without him coming out. Like, even if not, like, can't they bribe someone? They have all these controllers. Like, they must have a ton Dispose of money. Of the body. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. There's no way this is the only way they can do this logging operation. Also, logging operations will make a ton of sense because the thing that they need to destroy is the Andalite feeding ground. And the feeding mm. ground is, in fact, the meadow. <laughs> Not <laughs> forest. Which Mr. 3 knows perfectly well. I know. <laughs> he also but they assume that they're hiding in the forest. So if they destroy the forest, there's nowhere for the Andalite bandits to hide. I also, it's like, I think it's uh, it's yeah. kind of like a, a Yerky plan because they're like, oh, they're <laughs> hiding they're hiding in the forest. So we'll just methodically cut down all the trees <laughs> one by one. And then there won't be a forest, right? It's sort of, it seems like just a kind of exactly the thing that the group mind would think of and kind of want like to that, pursue yeah. ruthlessly. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't defend Mr. Three, like, falling for Cassie's bluff at the end there. That really doesn't make sense. I've never thought about it. without a nose. I do think he probably has a very low tolerance for personal discomfort. Mm. And I really enjoyed, actually, Axe's thing about, like, you know how tough it is to get smells out of spaceships. Oh, it's so <laughs> funny. No, that part makes sense. But just yeah. the part where she oh, says, I'll kill, I'll kill the human. Ferrand. And then he's yeah. like, everyone, fire at the box. I mean, it doesn't really matter because unless he, he said right away, kill this one, we don't need this one. 
It seems, I mean, it's sort of the same reason why he doesn't infest X right away in yeah. Megamorphs, right? He gets a taste of victory and then he wants it all. He's like, I'm gonna, mm. I've been trying to kill the Animorphs this whole time, but now I can capture them all alive. Ha ha ha. And then he's playing it screwed up. And... Evil overload list, I tell yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> he's gotta read and, it. I don't think that they're going to try this plan again, even though with a slightly different logging commission, <laughs> they probably would succeed. You just need to lure the Animorph somewhere and kill them. <laughs> We've, we've built up Mr. 3 to be so indestructible, and he's just, oh, it smells bad. I quit. I'm like, I what? Mean, he's is kind of a baby, yeah. Sure. Also, it's kind of smelled really bad. Yeah. We don't know how well Ambulites smell, also. Axe can smell it, and he says the smell might be making him deranged. <laughs> can I read that? So it was really one of the most wonderful passages. I, I just wanted still to read the, the Mr. 3. With all your clever tricks, I will still find you. No, I do not think so, Axe said. We are sure to smell you coming. (laughs) Axe has a sense of humor. It's because he's been hanging out with Marco, which we should talk about later. Fascinating, Axe said. That is possibly the worst thing I've ever smelled. And then like a page later. I believe the smell is causing me to become deranged, Axe said calmly. I may have to run away in panic. Take me with you, Marco muttered. (laughs) First of all, I'm glad that Marco and Axe want to run away together. But yeah, that is the funniest thing I've ever heard. The the other great thing that Mr. 3 says after he gets sprayed is... uh... Basically, Axe is like, we're going to do this trade, and Mr. 3 immediately knows he's been defeated, and the Hork Bajir tries to talk to him, and Mr. 3 is like, this has not been a good day for me. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a surprising amount of understatement coming from Mr. 3. Andalites and their understatement, I tell you. I do think the reason that he probably wouldn't do the logging operation again is just that he got so humiliatingly defeated Mm. that he wouldn't want to, like, touch that again. And let's let's come back to the overall, like, maturity of the Yorks doing this operation. Mm. Mr. 3 named his logging company Dapson Lumber Corporation, (laughs) which probably means something like Poopy Lumber Corporation (laughs) for Yorks, right? So, like, they're clearly not that sophisticated. (laughs) Yeah, I think that this approach of, like, psychological warfare against Visser 3. Like, we talked about it in 7, their inadvertent psychological warfare of, like, exploding out of the taxon. Right. This is, uh, yeah, undermining Visser yeah. Using confidence. bad smells against the aliens. Earth has, you know, such a diversity of wildlife, including things that smell really bad. It's true. They're really marshalling Earth's, like, natural resources to fight back. I wonder if there's an animal whose venom is so toxic specifically to yurks. Like what if what if platypus oh spurs are the thing that are going to drive them the most Please crazy? Oh, they need to do some major experimentation with substances yeah. that affect yurks. Yeah, they do. Just like black widow spiders sneak up on them. <laughs> I mean, rattlesnakes didn't do much. He was in pain, but ended up being fine. So maybe it's just they haven't found the right. I thing. guess he got out. My takeaway about Mr. 3's ability to negotiate at the end of this was that, like, I'll kind of allow this one. They get to a standoff, and they do a trade. This is kind mm-hmm. of like a classic thing, but Mr. 3 gets so screwed over by the Animorphs. He gets absolutely nothing out of, out of the trade. Right, 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 right. And then, but then they also lie to him in, like, a really humiliating way. So this just, they can never use this again, right? Like, oh, they, they can never do, like, a negotiation swap oh. thing with Mr. 3, because he's not going to trust them. So if he falls for it a second time, that's that's straining Why does he my trust credibility them the first time that's that's a good point but well they are andalite bandits and andalites are very honorable that's true that's true maybe he thinks he's going to take advantage of their honor but it turns out they're not andalites 
<laughs> they're the, teenage humans. <laughs> the grape juice brings up a question for me. Because there, there is that thing like where he's like, the, the oh, I've had a bad day moment. Whoever the controller is starts to say something about his knowledge of skunks. Like, it's, it's kind of an unexplored thing of how, what do the Yurks know? Because they have access to the memories of all yeah. the humans. None of the controllers could be like, guys, it's tomato juice. Like, I don't think that's uncommon knowledge. But I think right. uh, the human, well, all the controllers are very hesitant to speak yeah. up around Visser 3 yeah. because he, he is know. likely to kill them instantly. Right. What he needs is he needs, like, a controller Cassie, who's like an animal expert, oh, right? Yeah, but the zoologist, never... like we were saying, yeah. they need right. to infest the zoologists. Right. Or just a human he controller would... that he trusts to be like, it's tomato juice. <laughs> I've he consulted the memories. He yeah. and... doesn't trust anyone, really. So silly, though. So lonely. It's true. He's probably very lonely. <laughs> I have no pity. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's fair. Because you know who else is lonely? Tobias. Oh. No, Tobias, Tobias has Rachel and, and Axe, his Shorm. He does. He doesn't have a book anymore, though. Well, he does. He does have a book now because... Oh, I meant he doesn't get to narrate a book. Oh, he doesn't, yes. It's normal place in the sequence. No, he doesn't. I know. And I'm upset about it. So I think the relationships are really funny in this. Go on. There's Cassie and Jake. Jake and I are kind of... You know, <laughs> we like each other, as in like. <laughs> God, I'm not can sad I, I'm not 13 anymore. Can I read the, hi, Cassie, he said. He gave me one of his rare, slow smiles. <laughs> hi, Tobias, really Rachel nice. said. I thought maybe you'd stop by last night. Tobias sometimes hangs out with Rachel. He flies into her upstairs room and watches TV or reads. Things he can't do in the wild, human things. I love this. And I also <laughs> love that Rachel's like willing to kind of say it in front of the group. I was really Because like Cassie's not gonna be like, Oh Jake, you know, like it was so fun when we hung out at your house last week. Like they're <laughs> keeping it a big yeah. secret. I thought it was funny that when Jake splits them up to investigate the Logging Corporation the first time, like he didn't split up him and Cassie and Marco and Rachel. I wasn't sure if that was because he was annoyed with Cassie for the rat thing, <laughs> or maybe he trusts Cassie in the forest more than Marco and Rachel, and he wanted to have her, wanted to make sure that the pair that didn't have him in it had her in it. No, it's interesting because it's a different, it's a different division than we mm-hmm. saw in the mm-hmm. capture. Yeah. And in the capture, we pointed out that it was actually a very sensible division that yeah. Jake was going to yeah, keep yeah. an eye on Axe, have Cassie with him for to protect her probably, and that Rachel and Marco kind of play off of each other really well. And in this one, it's a very different division. And it wasn't clear to me if there were different strengths he was trying to draw on mm-hmm. from each of them, or if this was just he's kind of mixing it up a little bit. Couldn't yeah, really tell. I don't know. One of the things that that does, I don't know necessarily what Jake's reason was for it. I was kind of thinking that he also didn't want, he was kind of annoyed at Cassie. But I think that the Cassie-Marco pairing is really important for the scene where they're becoming wolves. Because, Mm. so you've said this a couple of times, Gray, the Animorphs don't get to enjoy morphing. But Cassie really does get to enjoy it in this book. and Or even when they're on a mission and have to morph wolves for the mission, she can really like revel in uh, her new senses and things like that. And so I thought it was really important that it's so true to her that she's the one who's experiencing all these things and like filling us in. But then you also get Marco. Marco's normally the cynic in the group. And he's also like, yeah, this is still pretty amazing, right? He's like along for the ride. So I I like that they got paired up in that instance. I thought it was important that they have this kind of moment of like kind of nice conversation and friendship since Marco is the one who's going to be maybe the most opposed to the stuff that's coming later in the book. I don't think Jake could have anticipated that. but Right. (laughs) What did you think of Angry Jake? I thought he was pretty justified. <laughs> Speaking of their relationship, <laughs> big red flags here. Yeah. Angry Jake can bite me. <laughs> the whole scene just, I was very frustrated with his reactions. 
What did you mean by that, Todd? Um, it's just, okay, what happens here is uh, when they find that Cassie's almost trapped herself in Morph by falling asleep with the, the baby skunks, Tobias has gone to Jake and Jake and Marco and Tobias all show up. And so he goes on this rant basically saying you almost got stuck, but he starts to lose it because she's compromising the war effort more than anything mm. else, right? So he says, we're an army with six members. One of us is already trapped in Morph, which is like not useful, right? Mm-hmm. And losing another person to being trapped in Morph because of a bunch of skunks, right? And he's he's like getting really wound mm-hmm. up. And then Marco pulls him back, right? Which is like, such the inverse of the normal dynamic there that he must it's like a signal to me that jake must really be getting too angry it's not like in a he's teaching her a lesson way but like he's really kind of lost it a little bit it feels like it's such a far thing from when they were escaping ant morph and they they were they all weren't sure if they made it out and jake's first thought is to say cassie are you okay Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right and then they do kind of reconcile a bit by the end of the scene after they've talked for a little bit more but I, I I worry about them. I don't know. I was so horrified by her falling asleep in Skunk Morph and, like, not having taken any precautions there that, like, I don't know. I was I was kind of with her on the, like, wow, I can't believe that I just did that, that that, that just almost happened. But, like, I think it didn't register with me as much, like, because Jake's reaction seemed really proportional. <laughs> but It did not seem proportional to me. Yeah. Because okay. she's That's already fair. very... She knows, right? Mm-hmm. She's not taking it lightly. She is also horrified by what she's almost done. And his reaction is so out of bounds. And it's not just that he's, you know, scolding her about what she's done, but he's also really unable to understand where she's coming from and to have the kind of compassion about her experience and how bad it was. And they all have had bad experiences. And he says, you know, I've been there. I've had the nightmares. I know what's going on in your head right now. And she's trying to kind of calm him down. And he says, just shut up and listen to me. I care about you, Cassie. We all do. We all need you. And they go, he goes through this whole thing. They talk a little bit more and she's trying to say, I'm still going to protect these skunks, which of course she is. She's Cassie. That seems very reasonable. And then she apologizes and says, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. I'll be okay now. I think he smiled his slow smile. I'll be okay too, Cassie, as long as you're around. I, I was, yeah, <laughs> I lost my damn mind. Oh, like, no. I just, yeah. I do not appreciate their relationship. I understand that we all ship it and fine. They're 13. They're figuring it out. They're holding hands. It's cute, whatever. But his reaction is so cruel when she is struggling so much. And it's all the worse because we've seen Cassie as the heart of the group being the one who is managing everyone else's emotions, who's checking in with them, who's making sure everyone's okay. And I think she deserves to have one person who's checking in on her. And I think Mm. it should be Jake. And it's not... And that frustrates me. Yeah, Yeah. he's kind of prioritizing his role as the leader over any sort of relationship that they have. Right. He, It kind of is, we need you as part of the group, not I need you to be okay. Even if it is, I need you to be okay. He shouldn't be yelling at her like this. There's something else that I'm just picking up on now, which is what he says at the end is... So there's a whole different aspect of this conversation here that we should get into later because it's like Cassie thinking through kind of like, Mm -hmm, well, mm -hmm. maybe just humanity are losing to the Yerkes as predators. And, you know, why do we care so much? And, and, And Jake's like, 
go tell Tom it's okay if he's a slave to the Yurks because it's our because it's our turn, right? That's that's kind of like unfair. And then he immediately says he'll be okay as long as Cassie's around after that. And we've <laughs> we've speculated a little bit about why the group hides Cassie's bad behavior from Jake. Uh-huh. And there's almost something to this idea that he's like he has so much ownership over what the group is doing when it comes to putting Tom at risk. That, mm-hmm. like, if Cassie's kind of special to Jake, maybe he's going to feel the same kind of protective, co- like, nature over her, right? If mm-hmm. she's, like, hit the girl that he likes, then he gets to kind of, like, make the calls for her in ooh, an even more special ooh. way, right? That's so there's a little bit, there's dark. a little bit of this, like, <laughs> like, oh, I'll be okay as long as you're around. Like, like, I get to have my human girlfriend and she can't get caught in a skunk morph right i i don't know if it's that interpretation is quite justified i can see how maybe it would be true but like that seems a little extreme that he's like i mean he's making calls about tom tom isn't there tom is a controller it's not like right it's very different it's just i think there's just something in the way that he doesn't acknowledge their relationship in this moment Mm -hmm. right i think that that take is probably too hard on jake yeah but well there is so he decides like yes okay we'll save the skunks i'll help you save the skunks he's not super great about it but like it's unclear the extent to which he recognizes this is important to Cassie maybe I don't understand it but I care about this person so mm-hmm. I'm gonna do it because I care about her mm-hmm. and to what extent it's like okay this is a member of my six-person army she's kind of losing it this is what she needs to be okay all right this makes sense tactically right we don't really get to see which one it is but and like it might be the latter a little bit yeah and I think Tobias definitely gets it he gets yep. it right yep. away right mm-hmm. Marco and Rachel, I don't think get it, but they do come around, right? There's kind of mm-hmm. this thing where like they're complaining about it up front or like Rachel is willing to stick up for Cassie, even though she clearly also thinks it's stupid. But <laughs> yes. then towards the, they all end up liking the skunks, right? And so Marco makes a joke about it. Rachel makes a joke about it. Marco names I'm not the sure, skunks. Right. I'm not sure Jake, I'm not sure we see something like that from Jake mm-hmm. towards the end that shows that he's grown attached to the skunks, right? <laughs> The thing is that we also see that from Tobias. Yeah. And Tobias gets it the most, I think. To, not right. only does Tobias gets it the most, he gets it immediately. She comes, mm-hmm. she's looking for the skunks. He not only helps her find them, he recognizes how hurt she is that he ate one of them and, and accepts that. He accepts her anger. He doesn't reflect it back at her. He lets her have her anger moment. And then he kind of just... And then he moves on and he helps her and he does his thing and I love him. The first thing he says is, I'll help you. Yes. I I think it is maybe helpful to Cassie that Tobias doesn't reflect that anger back to her. I think Tobias is maybe being a little bit quieter about that than he needs to be. Like, I think maybe it's not healthy for Tobias. Like, she's being pretty crappy to him. Like, okay, so he kills animals to eat. Like, we don't see, we don't actually even see evidence of her being like a vegetarian Maybe mm-hmm. she is, but like that's never mentioned. Like humans eat animals. It's not that different what Tobias does. He even points that out. But she is like shaming him for doing this thing that is completely natural. He's stuck in bird morph. Of course he's going to kill animals. Like he has it worse than any of them. It's terrible that she's making him feel bad about this. And it's nice yeah. that he's understanding but I wonder how much he is like feeling guilt about doing this thing that's completely right. natural and therefore not letting himself defend himself in a well, way that would maybe be better. I think you're you're totally absolutely right that Cassie's being unfair here. Yeah. And I, that's like what she's struggling with. And I think it's really interesting you brought up the vegetarianism thing because when Axe is like talking about like, oh, it's so interesting, but you eat some animals, right? Mm-hmm. You eat like, you know, pigs and cows and dogs. And Cassie's like, we don't eat dogs, right? So she's <laughs> she's got this really kind of defensive, like immature reaction Part of what she's struggling with here is how much she loves animals and nature 
and how she's kind of becoming disillusioned about yeah. what the world is really like. And so she's definitely behind Tobias because he's mm-hmm. had to face these things mm-hmm. so much more quickly than she has. And we've talked before about how the Animorphs don't necessarily can't relate to Tobias. Like they maybe understand it a little bit, but they can't relate to it. And so I feel yeah. like this is, you know, he shouldn't have to be so accommodating right. of her for sure. But hopefully she's getting some of that perspective. It seems like she's learning a little bit. So do we want to talk about some of this thought stuff about nature? Because I have... I want, I want to tell yeah. one thing about the argument scene. Oh, go for it. Which is that it read to me as very realistic. And I think it really points out how little time they have to process anything and how little time they have to discuss anything. Mm-hmm. So it, it's true that Jake is being unfair to Cassie, but I don't think he has really knows enough to be fair. Like, I think we as the reader know so much more about what she's going through, whereas he's not even there with the termites, right? He's off oh, distracting yeah. the Eriks. That's a really good point. And, then, and so he doesn't experience being a termite. He hears secondhand what happened from people who are exhausted and going to sleep. She wakes up. She goes off with Tobias. Tobias shows up to Jake's going like, Cassie's like asleep as a skunk. I, I guess there are these kids. Like, he doesn't even have the backstory. He just knows that she's upset and angry. Right. Yeah. And Jake shows up and he's like, you could have been a skunk forever. Right. right? And, and That's I, pretty terrifying. Yeah. And yeah. so I'd imagine that that emotion and, and feeling a connection to her would then manifest as anger once it's like oh you're okay but ah yeah and there, there's also something to the if he's really worried about her specifically maybe he it's hard for him to show that in the moment and so he yeah. goes to this other thing and it gets that doesn't really him, make right? it okay but i know well, yeah, I'm but just saying, I, yeah. to say why she yeah, yeah yeah no it's a good point and it's also important for me to remember that they're 13 and 13 <laughs> yeah. year olds make bad yeah, decisions it's not like they've had a lot of experience with relationship arguments they right. yeah no, it's it's a fair point. But it's terrifying. They never get to check in. Yeah, they don't have that time to process. It's a really good point. <laughs> they don't have cell phones. That's really the problem. Yeah. Cell phones have really solved a lot of, uh, of human issues. It's a good just, thing we don't have any emotional problems Guess anymore. he's like, oh, then I heard this... This strange noise. Oh, my phone is ringing inside the sky. And it's, you know, like... Oh, one hour, 55 minutes. Right, 27 missed notifications from Jake. My Dudette brand flip phone. <laughs> good job. Good job, Dudette representative. I think this might be an okay time to talk about some of the other team dynamic things. Oh, okay. One thing just jumping off of where we were... Tobias meets up with Cassie because of a really interesting team dynamic thing. Because mm-hmm. he he's the one who's kind of come and check in on Cassie personally after the termite thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he sort of opens it by being like, oh yeah, Axe said he was weirded out, but he's really there because Marco was like, Cassie's gone nuts, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think Tobias, or like Cassie thinks about it as like, oh, well, Marco was complaining about me to Tobias and Tobias came to check on me. But I could actually also see Marco being concerned yeah. and saying, hey, Tobias you should go find Cassie and talk to her. That like, doesn't feel like a Marco move. That feels actually more like a Jake move. Jake wasn't there, so he doesn't know how crazy Cassie yeah. went. I don't know. I feel like Marco isn't the let's look out for all the group members guy. I don't know. But he is very attuned to their emotions. Yes. I guess, yeah, I wouldn't say that he would have suggested to Tobias to, to do it, but mm-hmm. he might have played it up like... We should be really worried Cassie's going nuts, right? He might have just emphasized it a lot. He is very in tune to which which group member is currently going nuts. Right. And in fact, he says, you know, actually, it's kind of a relief finding out Cassie's crazy. (laughs) We know Rachel's nuts. We know I'm crazy. Cassie's been the only sane one for so long. Welcome to the loony bin, Cassie. Save the skunks. Hug the trees. Let dogs vote. (laughs) It kind of hurts her feelings a little bit, but also it's a it's Marco kind of recognizing that there's some similarity between Cassie's incredible focus on these four skunk kits and mm-hmm. 
Rachel's approach to being a bear and Marco's kind of use of humor. Um, I think it's it's pretty interesting. One other great team moment, and there are quite a few in this, but yeah. one other great yeah. one is when Jake does not go with them uh, mm-hmm. to be a termite. So they're morphing into termites to get into the Yerk compound, and they decide one person is going to be a distraction, and they draw straws, and Jake gets the short straw. What a mistake. Yeah, I think he's never going to do that again. Yeah, no, he will never <laughs> use that technique again. He's just going to make the decision for now Or he's going to rig it. <laughs> yeah, he'll do straws for everyone else, not right. one for him. Right. Yeah. He says, we're, we're all shocked. Somehow it just seemed automatic Jake would be would be there with us. Marco says, sooner or later, we had to try a mission without you, oh, great and fearless leader. Mar- <laughs> they don't even have their secret leader, Tobias. Right. Marco could joke about it, but none of us felt right going in without Jake. But it was too late to change that. And it's it's such an interesting moment where they recognize that Jake has always been there and been the leader. Mm-hmm. And there are some really interesting places where they talk about, where Cassie talks about Jake's leadership ability and how he performs as a leader, where he makes mm-hmm. the difficult decision. He gets everyone on board and builds consensus. But but then in the moment, he's the one who makes the decision. Mm-hmm. She talks about Marco being, which she doesn't say logistics, but he kind of is the planner and he helps with all of that. And she's very aware, as she always is, of them and their roles. But we see them growing into those roles. As mm-hmm. we've, we've talked about recently, that they have these roles and that maybe they're not always super comfortable with them. Mm-hmm. But they're as they struggle with it, they're struggling into into their role and the team. So they're learning and growing and kind of becoming better at being the lieutenant or the leader or the heart, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And the roles are difficult, but they're a great team because they know where they stand in the team. Maybe not in the five man band like we well, know, yeah. I'm the lieutenant, <laughs> but they, they kind of know they, what yeah. they mm-hmm. are meant to be doing. Yeah, I thought we got to see the different sides of how they support each other and take care of each other. We got to see the, we are in an urgent situation, you are freaking out for the good of the mission, we just need to calm you down. Which is very, like, you know, utilitarian, like, just got to keep her from screaming right now. And we got to see Rachel being nurturing, which was really (laughs) a nice moment. That that moment destroys me. It's Uh, so sad. I think it's interesting because Jake always plays that role, uh, like, when... um. Marco's freaking out about his mom being Mr. Mm. One. Mm-hmm. Jake's like right there in his head. Like he already knows exactly what to say. Yeah, it was but, like, that moment. Rachel and Marco don't know what to say. So Rachel <laughs> covers her mouth and Marco grabs her legs, right? They're just like, we have to contain this a different way. Like they're not gonna they're yeah. not gonna talk her out of it. And then I mean, like, I don't know what Jake I mean, she was screaming. Like, I don't know what Jake would have said. Well, Maybe he would have. I don't know. Yeah, but it's a new situation for them. The Cassie yeah. and Rachel friendship is even more mysterious. <laughs> So we saw sort of the in the moment, like expedient, like gotta keep her from screaming and getting herself and all of us killed. But then we also get to see the like more relaxed. We see that these skunks are important to you and maybe they're not as important to us, but we are going to be there for you because we are a team and this is important to you. We're going to save these skunks. They're our skunks now. And that was just really nice. Mm -hmm. They're all, they're all spread so thin in this book, which we should talk about. But yeah, that was amazing that they were willing to take that time to do that. Mm-hmm. That's what makes them like a functional like group that all cares about each other and not just yeah. a team yeah, that totally. fights. But sorry, you want to talk about Cassie and Rachel? Yeah. There's a really great Cassie line where she says, we must be the most mismatched best friends in history. <laughs> Rachel could yep. walk through the mosh pit at Lollapalooza on a rainy day and come out the other side looking like one of those models in glamour. I, on the other hand, will show up for my own wedding someday dressed in jeans and boots and socks that don't match. Which is just a very sweet kind of self-aware moment. We've talked about how they're very weird best friends and they know it. Right. And that's nice. 
But we see them, like, them hanging out in school at the mm-hmm. beginning is, like, mm-hmm. I think the first real, like, yeah. Cassie and Rachel are friends and they're goofing off thing that's happened. It, it doesn't, it's not, it's not a very deep friendship, which is something we've yeah, talked about. Yeah, but they give her before. sister a home perm. Yeah. That sounds like a terrible idea. It's the 90s, guys. It's not the 80s. It's the 90s. What are you doing giving someone a home perm? We knew by then it was a terrible idea to give someone a home perm. Your hair falls out. I also, what are you doing? You know, I bet Rachel does it well, though. I bet she Rachel knows how to do it. Does probably do it well. Yeah. I also like the moment right after that bit where Cassie explains their friendship, where Rachel's like, I'm going to kidnap you and take you to the mall to buy you a dress. And Cassie's like... Really? Because she says, you can never be sure Rachel is kidding. And then she describes Rachel smiling with her 10,000 white teeth. 10,000 like, bright white teeth. Rachel is terrifying. <laughs> you know, later they're like, what should we do about the logging facility? And Rachel's just like, should we blow it up? <laughs> I'm feeling blow it up. Right? I love Rachel. She's my favorite. And you have a hammer. Um, but, so I, or a bear morph. I also think that there's a really, another good example of how maybe they're not in tune with each other so the way that cassie presents rachel she says like rachel isn't usually a huggy kind of person Mm. and so after they have the horrible termite thing and cassie has her big freak out rachel kind of like leaves abruptly and cassie's like oh having to treat me like a baby probably gave her the willies and i'm thinking more about like how from what we see of rachel in book seven a lot of the time when she's fronting her like really aggressive persona she's actually struggling with things Mm -hmm. and so i'm you know she would have been just as traumatized by losing herself to the termites as cassie and so i'm and i'm sure she was also probably really upset by seeing her best friend struggle so much and and lose it so much she did and so they can't talk about it together, right? Rachel, I think, just just kind of shuts down and leaves. And Cassie doesn't even think Rachel's upset. She's kind of like, oh, man, Rachel must be, like, humoring me. And I thought that was kind of a sad... I think they don't do well, like, in extremis. Like, they they aren't very good people to help each other through the tough stuff. Like, maybe they're good at, like, hanging out and giving home perms. Rachel is like, how did you sleep so well? I had all these nightmares. (laughs) Cassie hadn't fallen asleep for like four hours. And then Cassie's just resigned to the fact that Rachel isn't going to support her. Right. And yeah, and they're they're on totally different wavelengths with like what's upsetting to them, right? Because Rachel's probably upset more about like losing herself and all of the like violence and stuff. And Cassie's upset because she's worried about philosophy, right? Like Rachel's (laughs) just like, they're just bugs. And Cassie's like, but aren't we all bugs in the grand scheme of things? Is it time to talk about the moral philosophy? Yeah, let's get into it. Let's do it. At some point in my notes, I have written down, like, Cassie's rejecting human supremacy, like, this idea that, like, we can't go in and just kill a termite queen because she's inconvenient to us. But then she also has this really complex relationship with nature. Like, after this termite thing, she says, even in my sleep, I knew what was happening to me. See, I had always loved animals, always. But now I think I was falling out of love. Nature wasn't all cute and fuzzy. The strong ate the weak. The weak ate the weaker. It's what the Yerks were doing, trying to make prey out of the ultimate predator, Homo sapiens. And she is horrified not just by what they're doing as Animorphs, but by nature. One of the places where she where she has that feeling is she's talking about the, the same thing, about killing... Everything I've been, every animal is either killer or killed. In a million, million battles all around the world, on every continent, in every square inch of space, there was killing. From the great cats in Africa that cold-bloodedly search out the weak, young and weak gazelles, to the terrible wars that are fought out in anthills and termite colonies. All of nature was at war. And she says, nature at its finest, cute, cuddly animals who slaughtered to live. 
the color of nature wasn't green. It was red, blood red. And it reminded me, as I think it's supposed to, of uh, Tennyson has a poem in which he talks about nature red in tooth and claw. And I think that's very much what she's kind of channeling here. It's from, he's talking about humanity. He says, who trusted God was love indeed and love creation's final law, though nature red in tooth and claw with ravine shrieked against his creed. And that's from In Memoriam by Tennyson. And I think it's just really interesting that she's channeling this idea, even though she is our earth mother, that she recognizes her view has been very naive in a lot of ways. Yeah. Right. I really appreciate how she grows up a little bit in this book in terms of being a little bit less naive about what nature really is or like what how how the universe really works. But I think that her instincts about right and wrong are still overall more mature than the rest of the Animorphs at this Mm. point. Like, I think that her instinct that she owes something to the skunks because, not just because there are random skunks in the middle of the woods, but because it was their battle that is going to cause them to be Mm -hmm. in this helpless Mm -hmm. situation, that they really owe something in this situation, and that if they can, they should help. I think that's a really... Cause the mother's wound. Right, exactly. Right, so I think that that... Even though it's not, you know, necessary and doesn't, like, matter in the big scheme of things in terms of this war that they're fighting, I think that she's onto something there. And I I think that all the stuff that she's struggling with in terms of whether it's so bad if humans get wiped out by the Yurks, because isn't that all in the grand scheme of things? I think Jake's also right that you have to care about, like, specific people and, like, the specific bad things that are going on. But... Mm -hmm. We've talked a little bit about how Yerks aren't all like Temrash and about how Jake was willing to boil 100 Yerks <laughs> alive without thinking about it. I think that she's starting to think more about those kind of like larger issues with the war. And so I'm I happy think, that we get all of the nuance. I think it's interesting to think about the different Animorphs and what scale they like to view the world at or what scale they need to view the world at. So we talked about how Rachel needs to like have things narrowed down. She needs to see what's in front of her, like see her task and do it. And she doesn't want to think about the implications. She wants to have some like big statement about a moral truth, just accept it and move on to like what she needs to do. And Marco is very much the big picture guy. He's also not very interested in the moral implications in the same way, but he like, he's good at looking at the whole situation, figuring out he's a very end justifies the means kind of guy. Uh, Cassie, we're seeing like, is really, really strongly affected by the thing that is right in front of her. And it's a different type of like narrowness than Rachel's. Like Rachel wants to be able to focus on the task in front of her. Cassie like is like the end does not justify the means. The means are very important. And it's hard for her to see the whole picture when the picture that like she is directly engaged with is somehow not okay for her view of the world. I'm not sure I quite have that. I think I see her slightly differently than yeah. I think she has a sense of the world as an ecosystem and her quandary to some extent is figuring out where she fits in that ecosystem hmm. because it's not just about the skunk kits. It's who counts as predator and who counts as prey. And if humans are predators, what does that make us in terms of, you know, are, are we are we the predators for everyone, but then we're the prey for the Yerks? Where do we fit into this? And she's kind of got this, she's trying to make all of the world fit into her, mm-hmm. her own mm-hmm. worldview. She says to Tobias at one point, 
I see how nature is, but where does right and wrong fit in? Mm-hmm. Something like that. And and I think that's really interesting. And especially as at the end, she has this conversation with Jake, but she very much gets to the conclusion on her own because Jake is unhelpful. Um, <laughs> And she says, uh, am I part of nature so I should just live by the laws of nature, kill to eat, kill or be killed? Or am I something different because I'm a human? And he says, well, I guess you're both. Um, <laughs> That's not much help, I said. It's not fair. Yeah. That just means humans are kind of in between, still partly wild animals doing whatever it takes to survive, and partly, partly, I don't know what, maybe something more than the other animals. Jake replies, and this is actually helpful, only one animal has the intelligence and the power to help save all the other species. And I think that's right. I also think that Cassie is looking at what's right in front of her, those skunk kits and how she can protect them. But she's thinking about what they mean to her and her place in the wider ecosystem. Yes, I think maybe that's the piece that I was like struggling to figure out. It's that she does need this sort of view of everything and she needs her action to fit into everything. Like it's very like Kantian, like so act so that like your action can be a rule for the whole world. Like she needs to be a functioning part of this like larger system. So whereas some of the other animorphs might be able to say like, okay, maybe what we're doing is not like perfect, but it's this exceptional circumstance. We need to fight the year because that justifies a lot of things. She's not willing to let that justify as much. She needs her actions to fit into this larger scheme. I know I'm positioning myself as the person who's against book nine, but isn't there a real tension here with Cassie's commitment moment in book four, which is not just the Irks are going to take over and enslave humanity, but they're going to destroy nature too and leave only a hundred species. Isn't that totally outside the realm of these things she's she's grappling with? Well, not really. I mean, because I guess it's if she were more of an end justifies the means person, she could be more like, it's okay if I do whatever to nature because the Yerks would destroy the whole thing. So I am justified in destroying little parts of it to save the mm-hmm. whole. But she's not the kind of person who can say, we can destroy part of it to save the whole. She's the kind of person who would say, if I'm willing to destroy part of it, how is that even different than destroying the whole? That makes sense to me. Sort of. I mean, it's... It's not entirely logical, because of course there is a difference between destroying part and destroying the whole. Yeah. But she's not able, like she recognizes that it's not logical, but she still has to deal with it on that level. It's just the part where she would reach the extent of saying, well, humans are just prey for yurks. But everyone's prey for yurks. That's true. Yeah, she doesn't really reference that in this book, how the entire ecosystem will be prey to the yurks. And we're seeing that in this book when they're destroying the whole forest and she's very angry about it. I'm waiting for the Lorax to pop out of one of those stumps. (laughs) Well, I think, yeah, that's an interesting point because it would almost be too much nuance for one book to contain, (laughs) right? Like, for them to keep throwing it around. Because there actually, there's a lot of space for, you know, she gets into it with Tobias a couple of times and Jake and like Rachel a little bit. There's a lot of space for it and a lot of my favorite Animorphs takeaway, which is like, it's too complicated to think about now. Let's come back to it later. And then they <laughs> yeah, really this line, do. Um, <laughs> only one animal can save, help to save all the other animals. Only humans can do that. Of course, we have to save ourselves first. I sighed. It's still too complicated. That's like the note it ends on. Right. And that's, <laughs> which yeah, I love. I is. love that. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's interesting. So we talked about how Tobias is so quick to sort of flip his view around. And I think it's interesting they talk about like what does it mean to be a human versus an animal and how the way Tobias has learned to cope is he's kind of like, well, 
I have to kind of live as a hawk most of the time, but I can still, part of me is still human, right? So Mm -hmm. in this situation, he thinks, well, the skunk mom's gone. I'm going to eat. I guess he doesn't necessarily know that they're responsible. Um, No, no. Right. But he's like, oh, I'm going to take advantage of the situation as like a hawk would. But he immediately gets on board with kind of like Cassie's plan. So even though she's mad at him, right, I don't necessarily think that she would come away from this book thinking... Right, she eventually, when she's in the Bird of Prey morph, is like, now I get it. I get why Tobias has to be the way that he is. Yeah, I think Tobias is, we've talked about, Tobias is really good at living with nuance in a way that, like, Rachel is not. And he is able to say, okay, in this case, I'm going to act as a human. It doesn't really mesh with the way I'm acting as a hawk, but he's able to kind of, like, survive with both of those parts of him active. Yeah, and another... Another nice moment for Cassie is when she takes the the kids on a walk and realizes that she has to teach them how to hunt or like that's what her role actually is supposed to be for the mm-hmm. these animals. So not thinking about them just as prey, but also as predators. <laughs> that's true, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to mention that we bring back the question of what the Yerks are doing is also natural. How does this fit in with our understanding of nature? Cassie has this exchange with Tobias. Look, Cassie, you're human. Homo sapiens. Your job is to keep yourself and your species alive. That's all nature wants from you. That's the whole point of evolution, to survive. He sounded angry. That's the law of nature, the number one law, and humans are part of nature. Then so are the Yerks, and we're no better than them. She's definitely onto something because at the end she comes around, well, like humans kind of have a choice, right? You can, you're, you're able, you're aware of other species and able to save them or not. Mm-hmm. So obviously that standard also applies to the Yerks. So they don't get there to mm-hmm. there in this book, right? But yeah. the Yerks would be, they would fall into the same category as humans and, mm-hmm. or Andalites and not as skunks. Yeah. I also wanted to mention that I feel like what we see in this book with Cassie putting sort of emotion before logic, it reminded me of what we saw from Jake in book eight, where he was talking to his teacher, Mr. Pardue, who was dying for the year in his head was dying. And and Jake identified so strongly with that and was responding to his past trauma with having the year in his head die, that he was really stupid and like, you know, outed himself as a, an anamorph, someone who knows about this. And so I, I thought it was nice that we had seen that from him. He doesn't reference that. Doesn't seem like he's processed it in the same way. But like, that is a thing that we see them doing. And they, yeah, they're they're human. They have to. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think that Cassie doubts herself because that is in her personality to do so. Mm-hmm. I think she's right. I think they do the right thing with the skunks. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, they wouldn't come around to it in the way that they all do if they didn't as kind of at the end agree that she was right, I think. Yeah. She didn't do it for this reason, but I think giving them a win with such low stakes is probably really <laughs> healthy for that's all of true. them, right? Like they're really doing something that's um, It's constructive important. instead of destructive. Yeah. yeah, it's constructive and it's something that they didn't have to do. And that, that almost makes it more important for them to do mm-hmm. Because that says who the Animorphs are in a way that struggling to survive and do anything to stop the Yerks uh, doesn't, right? I mean, I think from one angle, she's right to do what she does with the skunks. I think there are a lot of things they could do that are right. You could just as easily say they are all spread so thin, their schoolwork is suffering, they don't have enough time to like live their normal lives and fight the Yerks as it is. It is right for them to do what they need to for themselves. And I, I really like your point about how actually this is really good for them, but like I think maybe they wouldn't be able to see that far ahead. I think it is one of many right options. I don't know that it's like, if Cassie hadn't felt it so strongly, I don't think they would like really have had the obligation. Well, there's yeah. something to be said for doing 
the correct action that's right in front of you and very doable. Yeah. When your yeah. other choices are correct actions that are much harder and less guaranteed in order to give yourself a win or because yeah. it's right there. And and like you were saying before, if Cassie's got this sense of immediacy that doing the immediate right thing makes a lot of sense But I think that's sort of a temptation also that like, oh, we can have this easy win. Let's spend our energy on that instead of the much more important, harder, scarier thing that we could do. I mean, I I like the way like, you know, sometimes you got to do both. And I like that they do that here. That's a really good point. Okay. We brought up the cat food corporation again. (laughs) I would, I would just like to point out, you know, you might say that K.A. Applegate is uncreative when it comes to cat-related names because Tobias's cat oh is God, also named so Dude. Right. But <laughs> what if instead Dude and Dudette, the cat food corporation cat, are actually siblings and Tobias's cat is heir to a cat food fortune, which means oh, that wow. Tobias, through his cat, might stand to benefit from you know like a secret grandfather benefactor in like a great expectations type way where he's going to come into this huge cat food corporation fortune via his cat dude Stop so i think that's gonna we're that's done here probably this is great at some point <laughs> this is amazing wow i'm really looking forward to this twist i can't believe you spoiled it i would say that that makes a lot of sense except we did hear about tobias's family again in this book oh. and it continues to be heartbreaking Tobias came from a terrible, messed-up background, shuffling from one indifferent aunt or uncle to another. He'd never really been part of a family or a structure, and sadly, no one seemed to notice when he simply disappeared. Including, presumably, Dude. Wow. Very sad. Dude probably noticed. I mean, probably. But only probably. Ted, I'm embarrassed. The only thought I had about the Cat Food Corporation was, why is a wildlife veterinarian meeting with a cat food corporation <laughs> who's funding <laughs> him? What, what are they funding? Like, like animal-friendly companies will like fund the rehabilitation okay. center. Also, cat food gets fed to a lot of different animals. Mm. I wanted to say one quick thing about the skunk morph, which is, as we talked about a couple books ago with Rachel, the bear morph is perfect for Rachel, uh, not <laughs> least because of its blindness and ferocity and confidence yeah. in its own abilities. This is a really good morph for Cassie because mm-hmm. it is not an aggressive animal. It's not a, really a prey animal in a lot of ways. She says, uh, no sharp teeth or talons yet. Just about nothing in the forest messed with me. I felt the gentleness of absolute confidence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that was so, oh, so perfect great for, for Cassie. Which made me a little upset that the morph on the cover is a wolf. <laughs> And not the skunk. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, I like that we get to relive the wolf for the first time from someone's point of view with Cassie because it's her chosen battle morph. Or was. I assume now it's going to be the skunk. (laughs) Apparently the skunk can defeat just armies. So, yeah. (laughs) I will say with the blindness thing, it comes comes back uh, when they're turning into termites, uh, Cassie says. And then my eyes went dark. I was blind and I was glad. It is an interesting, like, that theme of, like, sometimes blindness is a blessing, kind of returns. And that's also how she had related to nature before. Like, she had kind of turned a blind eye to some of the the harshness Mm -hmm. of it. And now that her eyes are open to it, she has some regrets. And then when she's the osprey, which has really good vision, she can see how nature really is. Mm -hmm. And she comes around Mm -hmm. to predators have their role as well. Mm -hmm. Cassie sort of resolves some of her crises by by seeing more, whereas Rachel needed to like narrow her vision mm, down again. Yeah, yeah. So you brought up the termites. Yeah. <laughs> Is it time to talk about the termites? Sure, let's talk about the termites. Okay, Cassie researches termites before morphing them. She's so cool. Also, termites <laughs> are really gross. 
Do you think she looks up termite information on the internet? Jake does. <laughs> he looks up on the internet, so they're not like ants, he says, because mm. I looked it up mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. internet. But per the rules you laid out, he is wrong. What a bad error Incorrect. they have made here. So actually, I, I was a little surprised that the ant and termite experience is so different. Mm. Um, but the way that it makes sense to me is that they describe the ants as being totally isolated from the colony because uh, they're not they're taken from one right, place and another. So they don't you don't have the kind of like hive really controlling you in the same way. Whereas yeah. here, the only instinct they get, it's not that they've totally lost themselves. It's that they feel this siren call of the termite queen. Yeah which eventually takes over. Well, it's amazing because they learned the lesson to not be part of the wrong colony in the ant experience. And so they're compensating for that, but they're falling into like a maybe even worse situation, or at least just as bad. (laughs) No colony animals. Yeah. No, it's a really good rule. I like it. They're like slowly losing themselves. They get carried away. There's the whole bit where Cassie's narrating it as if she's a termite, and then she can hear her own voice calling for help. And she, it's like so chilling that it's like, there's a, a familiar voice crying, help me, help me, no, as she's, like, eating termite poop and, like, going to rotate yep. the eggs, which is, I guess, the thing <laughs> that you could spend your whole life doing as a termite. So Cassie, of course, is the one who, like, comes back first, and then she manages to get the other ones to come back, but nobody can c- control anything. And I love that, of course, Cassie has to be the one to kill the termite queen, because she's mm. the narrator, and it leads to this whole moral yeah. quandary that she has. But Rachel's the one who has the idea, right? She's mm, like, we mm-hmm. gotta kill the queen, gotta kill the queen. And so Cassie realizes she has to do it. Did any of you look up what a termite queen looks like? No. It didn't. It's very gross. Oh, no. Yeah. It's bad. I looked at a picture. It's the worst. I'm not I wish I had looked at it. Never look at it. Blindness if you're is this a podcast, <laughs> Don't look it up. Just picture it. What you're picturing isn't as bad as it is, but it's, a, it's the right idea. <laughs> it's very bad. Oh, my um, God. Also, at the end of that morphing experience, the other Animorphs have all morphed back into being humans. And Cassie, who's freaking out, wants to become one of the termites to lose the memory of what she's just Mm -hmm. done, which is to kill her queen, a a true abomination in the eyes of the termite that she is. And she tries to demorph, but she's inside a piece of wood. Okay, so just let me be human, let me out of this place, out of this body. I grew, walls pressed in around me, I filled the tunnel, I couldn't grow anymore. Trapped, pain, nothing but pain, I was a swollen, vast termite, larger than any queen, huge. I couldn't grow anymore, and I couldn't stop. I was trying to become human again to fit a human body into a space no bigger than the inside of a walnut. Then, explosion, the walls opened up, splinters, fresh air rushed across my hard termite skin. My head was free of the wood and growing, but my body was still trapped squeezing with terrible pain. What did that look like? Yeah, can you imagine Cassie's head growing out of a piece of wood that's like part termite but has human eyes? This is like the worst Wow, well, I've never pictured thing. this before. It's so bad. How dare you, Greg? Right. I'm sorry, then, but it's so bad. Yeah, Axe cuts her out with his tail blade and then... And then she becomes a human and right. And, and then she better. starts freaking out and screaming and they have to like yeah. tackle her to the floor. Which what happens when ugh. you demorph inside of something? It's not it's bad. good. It's bad. <laughs> it hurts. I do think it's interesting that here and earlier, Cassie seems to have uh, become a little bit braver since book mm-hmm. four. So I thought it was really interesting to see that. So when she realizes she's close to the queen, she resolves to, to do it, even though she obviously doesn't want to. She comes up with a way to trick the termite mind into thinking the queen is an ant, right, which is a clever thing. But even earlier, when she and Marco are in, teamed up to investigate things, 
Marco gets trapped under a net. Mm-hmm. And instead of running away, fearing for her own safety, like she did in Megamorphs 1, she goes back and is like, I'm going to get you out of here, even though I'm not going to, we're not necessarily uh, going to get out of this. She also refuses to take the out that Jake gives her of like, someone needs to create a distraction. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. she doesn't right. want to do that again. So I thought that was really interesting. I guess it's probably the experience in Megamorphs 1. She's like, I'm happy to be excluded and go to the mall. Then she lets Marco get captured. And so now she's trying to make sure that doesn't happen again. Mm, yeah. A couple quick things about them getting trapped under the nets while on Wolf Morph. How, how did the Yerks know? A, the Animorphs would be there. Oh, e, are you kidding? They were obviously going to show up. Where where they would be in the woods. Oh, there are nets would... everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> what morph they would be in, that it would be large enough for them to get caught under a net. It's all very silly. Unless every I don't agree, tree... actually. I think that they have nets in all the trees around the perimeter. I think they are prepared. They have the force field so that no, they think no creatures can get through it. It turns out termites can actually get through the shadow of the pine needle. Hard to predict on the Yerks' part. But they know that this is going to be a target for the Andalite bandits. And they're like, okay, we're going to have, like, Dracon Bean cannons aimed. Like, we're going to have all of these guards. We're going to have these nets. Like, right, we they are cut down the trees. Covering. They get spotlights. Yep, we are covering our bases. We know this is going to be a target. Fair enough. I guess I'm so used to the Yerks not having good decision-making that yeah. I expect them to be like, and then we chose this one tree and we threw a net over it and we were like, yeah, let's see what happens. But you're right. It's <laughs> no, I think that they're finally like, crap, animals are a big problem. Like, and they're finally trying to address it by invading the forest. It is interesting that they, like, have a force field technology, but it's really easily defeatable, right? Like, it's kind of <laughs> cool you. that it kind of, like, falls from the sky, but, like, a pine needle breaks it so they can sneak in and, but, like, stop a tree cutting I mean, machine. On the other hand, why weren't they just like moles or earthworms or something that wasn't a termite? Ooh, can't wait for if you can just more. anything that can dig, right? Like yeah. would yeah. be better than a termite. So Yerks and Animorphs both making bad calls still. <laughs> That's uh, fine. No options. Evenly matched. But Axe was at least thrown by the lack of sophistication of the net technology. <laughs> right. <laughs> I presumably there's a better technology they could not use. Yeah, he's like, I spotted the Dracon Bean cannons. I just, like, I, I wouldn't think of nets. They're too primitive for me. I want to talk about Cassie's family for a minute. I just love getting to know her family more. We saw a little bit of them in the last book when Axe goes to their house. But yeah, we've seen a lot of them now. Her dad is really entertaining. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> both of their... Hmm. And, right, and he, so her dad doesn't like skunks, and she, he's like, Cassie, you're going to have to deal with this, this certain creature. That was a great conversation. Um, but her mom is funny, too, because when he's, like, talking about the whole thing, he's like, oh, you know, it was so bad, and I had to, like, sleep outside, but the animals thought it was bad, so I slept in the tent. And then her mom's like, then we had to burn the tent. <laughs> and she and giggled. It's really funny, because, like, also, Cassie doesn't really have a sense of humor, or, like, she probably makes jokes occasionally, but it's not notable for it. So yeah. it's really funny that her her parents are probably her both teasing her all the time. And she's, like, super-duper earnest all the time, right? And they're probably like, oh, you know, we've raised a good, you know, raised a good girl. They do trust her a lot. Yeah. Like, I definitely was also a kid, like, where my parents just trusted me to always do the right thing. But I don't, I don't remember if I had this level of freedom at 13. I don't think I would have wanted to use it. Like, she obviously has this Animorphs thing that makes her need to use it. If, if you had gotten an F in science, would your parents have grounded you? Or would they have been like, oh, where did we go wrong? We'll have to spend all of our time helping her, you know? 
No, I think they would have been really concerned. Like, they would have wanted to know what was wrong. It would have, like, signaled something really serious, which it is something really serious. We haven't really talked that much about how, like, it's starting to catch up with them. And it matters to her a lot that she's going to get an F in science at the beginning of the book. She's going to get a D. I thought she was going to get a D. She was facing a D. She couldn't get a D. Okay. She wanted to get a so C, So she's going to get a D. Maybe. Maybe she'll figure out the science project. Maybe she'll do one of Courtney, the scums. rat escaped. It's over. Maybe there are other rats. If you're the teacher and you're like, hey, kids, you can do this special rat project and like write a paper or whatever, and they uh-huh. lose the rat, <laughs> you're not gonna, unless the school is like very well funded. That's I don't know. Do. It seems like she was still worrying about her science project later, so maybe there's still a future for there. it. That's yeah. true. I also uh, liked... So she talks, she thinks about how she's never lied to her parents before being an Animorph. Mm-hmm. And then she has this moment of disillusionment later when she's talking to her dad about the skunk mother and what's going to happen to the kids out in the wild. And he lies to her being like, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. And she realizes in that moment that he probably lies to her all the time about all sorts of things. <gasps> and it's like this like really mm. classic teenager growing up and kind of seeing the world for the first time and it's such a it's like a small moment but it sets her up for like all of her big thoughts about what nature is really like later on i had a few other really random things marco's line i knew the middle school years would be tough but this is a little much (laughs) (laughs) yes so such good perspective yeah speaking of funny things first of all i love that cassie describes axe as a strikingly handsome boy Mm, yeah (laughs) and I also just wanted to read this exchange. Were the nachos good, I asked him. They tasted of grease and salt. Plus, there was another flavor that reminds me of some delicious engine oil I tried once. Engine oil? Jake asked. Axe. I mean, Philip. (laughs) You know how I mentioned you can't eat cigarette butts or dryer lint? Add engine oil to the list. Axe nodded. Yes. There are many rules for eating. (laughs) But also he gained some control. He didn't eat the paper plate. When she's listing the things that she's worrying about, including the science project, she also lists <laughs> Axe drinking oil. <laughs> right. I also want to hear the dryer lint story. Like, right. Oh, man. Yes. Was that like something they found out later that Jake had been eating dryer lint yeah. when um, he was captured by the Yurk? And then Jake had to explain it later to his therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that definitely happened. A slightly darker note, I really, like, Tobias's line really stuck with me. Welcome to the club, he said. None of us is going to come through this, through all this completely normal. You know that. Too much fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They they know what they're sacrificing in this war. They're sacrificing, yeah. like, their peace of mind forever, if not their lives. Yeah. And when they are preparing to become termites again, she really has a strong bodily response like it's like a fear response Mm -hmm. to even thinking about it like she's with her dad and she starts imagining the ants thing again and then he's like hey cassie are you okay and she's like shaking and sweating and so she's just had it's almost like a ptsd flashback type thing Mm -hmm. where she's like imagining going through all this again and then and that's when she is like i have to be the skunk right i have Mm -hmm. to do something else and even when they're talking about the termites earlier she her voice starts trembling and she sees marco's face turn gray like, they're all really struggling with that. Yeah, I, I wrote down at one point, like, the crisis in this book is really the morphing. Like, the morphing is what is so difficult for her. It's not even anything specific that the Yerks do or that she has to do to the Yerks. Mm-hmm. But it's also nice that, like, we kind of get both sides of it. Like, at some point, like, it says of Marco, like, he was high on the thrill of a good morph. It's very nuanced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Should we talk about the 90s moments? Yeah, sure. Cassie's dad's new truck has a CD player. 
Mm-hmm. That's like really art. cutting edge. Which, by the way, do we know why he got a new truck? <laughs> <laughs> it's because Marco left it in a yes. ditch. Mar- with Megamore I love that callback. Marco was driving, and Marco cannot drive. <laughs> <laughs> Who said Cassie isn't funny? Ted said it. It was very unfair. Uh, the home perm. Jake is also home traditionally perm. not funny, and he makes a couple mm-hmm. of successful jokes in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly making fun of Marco, who is an easy target. Have you guys talked about the phrase hook up, which I do not think oh. has aged well? We always hook up in the barn. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> well, it's a good spot for it. Have they changed that in the, in the re-release? Uh, this one has not been re-released. We are no more re-releases. Oh, it's over. They only that. made it to eight. I did also think that if these books were happening now, the kids would really benefit from athleisure being uh, a... <laughs> That's so true. true. Yes, Rachel's the only one who can pull together a good morphing outfit. This is not a Wait, 90s reference, but they managed to use the phrase haul ass, but they just leave off the ass. <laughs> so, so they she, say, let's haul. I saw Courtney haul in the other direction. That's <laughs> <laughs> not what that phrase is. Uh, yeah, I am almost certain that they had haul ass in there until the very last moment. And <laughs> then like, they're like, you can't like, say this. And they're Wait, like, let's, they, no, they probably wrote haul butt. And then they're like, that just sounds too bad. Just take out the haul. butt. It's fine. Yeah. There I are a lot of say haul butt constantly. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of stores in this one. Yeah, there was a list of mall stores, and they all still existed. Mm-hmm. The Limited and Banana Republic and The Gap and the various department stores. I was like, yeah, still valid. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ralph Lauren. Oh, yeah. And uh, Express, the new Express line. Good job picking stores that had sticking power. Good job. <laughs> a couple more things that I just absolutely love about Cassie. One is when she's describing the, all the animals that exist there. She's going through, you know, there are some, like, birds and, like, there's a raccoon or whatever. And then she says, a really cool porcupine. Yeah. <laughs> Which isn't mentioned again, but I just love that it's so cool that she has to tell us about it. That's delightful. And then when they, yeah. she first finds out that they're logging in the National Forest, she's like, that's not okay. How do they get permission yeah. to do that? Right. Yeah. And one, I mean, it's great that she is rewarded by the plot later for having thought yeah. of that so quickly. But also, just, like... She's the only one who cares about old growth trees being torn down. And, like, they should yeah. all care about that. Like, that's, yeah. a, that's a huge bummer. I liked when Jake was like, see, Marco, this is why Cassie is a nicer person than you. She could have said, they don't want that. Duh. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also a 90s reference. Yeah. <laughs> Not that that doesn't yeah. exist now, but I feel like it was bigger then. And yeah. I really liked that Ferrand, the guy who, he's also an environmentalist. And he's furious that they've started logging without him, right? And yeah, then well, he's on this commission. The way that he processes it at the end is he's also like Cassie. He's like, the animals of the forest rose up <laughs> against this logging company. That's like the story he tells to his friends. And he even... Been like the tigers of the forest yeah and he says that there was like a <laughs> a skunk girl spirit there yeah. to, to help them I, I, that's I basically that what cassie is so it's yeah. perfect and there was one other moral quandary thing that we didn't talk about yet which is that when brand pulls up cassie and tobias are talking a little bit and she points out well if he was if he was any other kind of controller but a human controller mm. we wouldn't be having this conversation yes. we would just kill him they're finally right? they're yes. finally and like we, bringing this up right and we talked about how tobias has like all these qualms about killing mice and then he's like super trigger happy to blast a taxon out of the sky at the end of the book yeah. and doesn't even yeah. think about it so they kill a lot that, of orc i felt yeah. like that was a big step forward for them and they don't even like Cassie has some, she has a really strong reaction of anger towards Tobias when he eats the skunk. And so I feel like they're going to have to process what they're doing to these other sentient aliens at some point. And And to humans. And Tobias attacks a human and that guy's going to have to wear an eye patch for the rest of his life. And Axe cuts off another guy's hand. Yep. Uh, I just wanted to mention in my 
quest for following the course of the Axe Marco romance, which is, of course, going to be a romance. They hack into the Yerk's computer together. It's like, yeah, Axe and Marco figured out how to get into the computer. And then, yeah, Marco Grant, the Axe Man knows his way around computers. They clearly, like, had a much better interaction at Marco's house than the one they had when Axe pretended to be his friend, No. But he yes. probably still has to go by that name for Marco's dad. No. <laughs> and Axe comes to the rescue when Marco is trapped in the net. Oh, that's yes. so Cassie's true. trying to help him get out, oh. and Axe slices through the net so Marco can escape. Really good tail blade. Ted, I was really hoping that you could treat us to a rendition of what the hork say when they get blasted by the skunksmiths. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. So hork kind of look like chickens, right? So I mean, They look like dinosaurs. <clears throat> They're described as stegosaurus plus so, Klingon. So the humans are kind of like, oh, go, go, uh, uh, and the hork are like, Herankahal, stink! <laughs> that okay, should be the name of the episode. What Star Wars creature was that? Because that was definitely a Star Wars. <laughs> or a Muppet? It might have been both. I don't know. You Even, squeezed Yoda wait, really so, hard. Yes, that's what it was. <laughs> okay, I think, I guess logging is more shock troop work than subtle work. We did not mm, have any Texans on the ground here. Who was operating But we learned a new fun quote, big air quotes around fun fact about Texans, which is that they have a foul stench. When Cassie's describing oh. taxons at the beginning. Because they always get a mention in the beginning of each of these books. So so don't they stink um, up the blade ship already? Mm. Oh my god. Probably. Yeah. Is you the... know, that's the only plot hole in this book. <laughs> yeah, the heck with your rant, <laughs> Jeremy. That's the real, that's the real so, issue. Yeah, I miss the smelly taxons. Oh, yeah. No. So great. What is the next book? The next book is called The Android. And I am already annoyed. What? Why? What What's your prediction? Hell? Why is there an android? Um, I'm going to find the cover. Oh, you're going to love it. You're going to love it so much. Oh, no. It's the spider one. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, which it's is, not a colony. Which sex. is worse for you? The spider on the cover or the title, the android? They're both bad. I hate What do you have both? against androids? I've got to say... I've been listening to you freak out about these images for weeks, and I never got it. And now I see the screen you're looking at, and I'm starting to get it. <laughs> Look at his, like, spider ball chin thing. It's horrible. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. It's very bad. Look that is very looks. bad. Yes, I agree. He's going through his Thanos mandibles. I agree. Yes, so it's Thanos. Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> he does look like Thanos. <laughs> Uh, well spotted. <clears throat> this is why we These brought are you way here. less disturbing on a phone-sized screen. Also, I love that they got Marco to squat with his arms <laughs> out to get as many spider-like limbs. I really want to where that actor is now. <laughs> look glum so and spider Also, why doesn't he have long hair? What's wrong with these people? I think oh, I actually... comes up in the... Book. I think I remember hearing, like, the kid who was posing for this came in with short hair, and they were like, okay. Great. Yeah. <laughs> One, you haven't read the little subtitle on the book. Two, you still need to give us a prediction. Okay. Um, fear Besides has... that you won't like the book. <laughs> That's my real prediction. Okay, uh, the, the little subtitle is Fear has a new name, dot, 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 Yerk. Four dots? Yes, four dots. Why? I don't know. Okay. Maybe the name is Dot Yerk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Fear has a new website. 
Dot, 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 year. Okay. Uh, and on the cover is Marco. It's a Marco book, and he is morphing into a spider, and I hate it already. And it's called The Android. Okay, so listen, I know that you guys told me that any science fiction trope, up to and including time travel, would be included. I did not see androids coming. Does anyone ever see androids coming? No, no it's like the Spanish the Inquisition. What if it's a metaphorical android? You're making some assumptions here. <laughs> yes. I am, but that's just based on the first 10 books. Um, Okay, so androids traditionally are sort of part robot, part human. That's a cyborg. Shoot, what's an android? An android is a robot that looks like a human. That doesn't help me at all. (laughs) Is that worse? I don't For know. you, Gray. Is no, that worse? I'm still annoyed okay. by it. Um, <laughs> it's like it's a whole robot, not like a... Yeah. It's not like Marco's going to become a cyborg. Okay, so the Yerks are going to create an android that they can use to infiltrate the White House. Ah, okay. <laughs> I, got, I got nothing on this one. Why is there an android? I don't know. <laughs> Um, because they weren't able to create a controller in the White House. So maybe they stuffed the android full of Yerks and they're just sending him in. An android it's full a Trojan of horse. Yerks. Oh, that's so good. A Trojan, Wait, a I Trojan mean, human. I mean, oh, that'll never happen because that's really what does happen. Let's <laughs> <laughs> going to suggest we name our four-person band Metaphorical Android, a, but Trojan Android is better. Like, <laughs> so great. I feel like I do a really good job of having a poker face when you're predicting things that are at all plausible. But as soon as you have a crazy idea that never happens, I get really excited about it. And then I know that I'm ruining it because you know it's not going to happen. I know, but well, I just, love it every time. You just so have to get really it. excited about every crazy idea she right, has, even right, if it does right, happen. Right, right. Oh, man. You have a lot of crazy ideas. I'm still mad about that the Megamorphs didn't happen. Hasn't <sighs> happened yet. Hasn't, hasn't happened yet. I, I am well, so that's glad. in order to fight the, the Trojan android full of Yorks. Yes. It has to become one big flea. <laughs> this is going to be amazing. I can't wait for this book. You predicted this book's plot correctly about book eight. Yes. Do you remember that? Ages. You said the, the Yorks were going to go search the forest for Axe, and yeah. they were sort of doing that in they this book. They kind of so. did. I wanted yeah. to give credit Thank to your you. You're just one book off. Yeah. Sometimes I have terrible guesses like this all right. time, but all right. <clears throat> Sorry, you were trying to wrap this up. <laughs> Love that you made a the wonderful guess thing, on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> Never having seen the title or picture or before, it's so good. Yeah, of course. Now about you can it. testify that that was authentic. That's, that's what I'm doing currently. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll you. see how accurate you were next time on Anamorphology, the Android, the end. <laughs> If you want to find us, we are at Anamorphology.com and at Anamorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the books on our website. So this is what's happening. It's the intro's like dum 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 And then Jenny, can you say the title of this book really slowly? The secret. Perfect. And this week, my name is Jeremy. Do you want to say it in your normal voice? No. <laughs> I'm going to do the whole podcast like this. <laughs> <laughs>